me in your Bible, if you brought one, I hope you brought it, to uh, chapter 2 of the book of Philippians. Philippians is a, uh, it, were the people. Philippians was the people that lived in the city of Philippi, and Paul had a relationship with them. Two weeks ago, we read about, in the book of Acts, his uh, encounter there. Last week, we looked at chapter 1, some New Year's resolutions from chapter 1. This week, we're looking at chapter 2. So I asked you to read, before you got here, chapter 2, so it would be fresh in your mind. Uh, next week, I'm going to ask you to read chapter 3 of the book of Philippians. So it's only four chapters, doesn't take long. But we're taking our time in January to look at these four chapters and what Paul is saying. So today in chapter 2, if you read it, you know that the last part of the chapter has to do with his some comments he makes on Epaphroditus who had come to help him uh, and he had, he had recently met him and they had a good relationship. But I want to really focus on the first part of Philippians chapter 2 because here in, in this chapter he talks about uh, some key essentials for a Christian's walk. Now, you can go to church on Sunday, and you can tell people you're a Christian, but there are some essentials of actually walking out this Christianity thing. And there's four of them here that I want to point out. So we're calling this series from Philippians, we're calling it the New World Order. We're not talking about prophecy or governments or politics. I'm saying that when we come to Jesus Christ and we open our lives to Him, and allow Him to be the Lord of our lives to direct us, there is a new world order that's established. He expects us to do things differently than we did before. You know, the insan the def one of the definitions of insanity is somebody who keeps doing the same thing over and over and over again, hoping a different result will come about the next time. It just doesn't happen. We have to have a whole new strategy so in chapter 2, there are four absolutes, absolute essentials that we have to have. The first one is found in verses 1 and 2, where he says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being unified with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit... If any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. So the first absolute essential for a Christian here is service. You want to write that down in your blank? You can. Service. You cannot step into the the power of God, the life of God, and, and see that abundant life He promised realized in your life if you don't find some place to serve. You have to serve God. And typically we serve God by serving the people of God. So what has He done for you? If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, is your life any different now that you've opened your life to Christ? How is it different, and how did it become different? What did you used to be that you're not today? How did it help you? How did it change you? He's saying if you, if, if, if you can reflect on your life and you can see that being united with Christ has changed you, then how has it changed you? 
What areas has it changed? And if you can put your finger on that, you just discovered the ministry God has placed inside of you. Some of us have been through a, a divorce, failed marriage. But God now has placed you in a successful marriage. Did you learn anything? If you've learned anything from that experience, you got to pass on to somebody else what you've learned. Those of us that have that, that, that bad, painful experience need to find somebody else going through that and help them through it. If, you're, if your past includes addictions, drugs, alcohol, pornography, and God has led you out of it, God has set you free, God has given you a new life, guess what? You've now discovered what your ministry is to help people that are in that out of that. We've got to find where it is that God has made us a teacher and exercise it and be a mentor in someone else's life. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says basically the same thing. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Notice God's grace comes in various forms. In other words, we have enough people here this morning that have tasted of the grace of God that we have all kinds of expressions and forms of that grace. You've experienced grace in, from this problem, from that problem. You've experienced it. Maybe another, another category could be you were really abused as a child and you don't know what it is to have a loving father watch over you. You don't know what that is. But now you've experienced that God's a loving father who adopts you into his family. Now you, of all people, understand what it's like to have been raised in a home where you're not valued. You know what that's like. So pass on what you've received to somebody else and help somebody else get up out of that pit. Amen. This is what Christianity is. This is what we should be doing. Amen. We should be finding places where we can invest in someone else's life. The church of Jesus Christ should not be a bunch of takers. It should be a bunch of givers Amen. who want to give of ourselves and invest in other people because somebody in the past invested in you. So we pass that on. It was about five, six years ago. <clears throat> um, I was, was, a, was a Tuesday morning I think it was, yeah, must have been a Tuesday because that's trash pickup day. And I was in the bathroom and I was shaving or something. I don't remember what it was. And my wife was out on the front porch and she was watering her flowers. And she began yelling and screaming like there was a horrible problem going on, like some wild animal charging at her. And I dropped what I was doing. I ran out onto the front porch to see what the commotion was all about. And she pointed down by the road because our, our house is a couple feet off, or a couple hundred feet off the road. We got a pretty good sized drive. And she was pointing down at the road at the garbage truck that was sitting there in front of our drive. And I had forgotten to take the trash down. Tuesday morning's trash pickup day. Oh no, this was summertime and the trash can was filled to the top. 
I went into a panic. I ran out in the garage, grabbed that, grabbed that trash can, and I started rolling it down my drive as fast as I could. About halfway down, the trash man was walking up and met me about halfway and took my garbage on down to the truck. I'll tell you what, I don't care who comes along with a new trash pickup business, I know who I'm going with because that company served me. What would the church look like if we all became servants like that? He was in a hurry. He had family back home. He's got a route. He's got to run. He's got to pick up. He's got to run down these streets and those, those roads and pick up all this trash. And he can't go home till he gets his route done. And I slowed him up a couple minutes. And he very graciously came down and took my trash on down. That made an impression on me. We should be making impressions on other people like that. What if, notice in our church we have five sections of seats. One, two, three, four, five. What if every one of us decided we were going to take ownership for our section? And if anybody came in that I didn't recognize who their face was, I was determined in my section I was going to shake their hand and make them feel welcome. If everybody did that, what would happen if everybody looked around when you got done to make sure the trash was picked up in your section? You just kind of took ownership of it. And nobody ever walked out of here saying, nobody shook my hand, nobody made me feel welcome, because you took ownership. Amen. I think the church would look different, and I think there would be people that would say, I don't care what new church they put up with some new program, I know where I'm going because they care about me here. Only you and I together can make that kind of impression in people's lives. We have to be outgoing. And I know some of us are so intimidated with our faith, we're afraid to talk about our faith outside the church. But at least inside the church, we should be servants. If we're not going to be servants out there, let's be servants here. Because nobody wants to be the ingrown toenail in the body of Christ. How many know what an ingrown toenail is? It hurts the whole body. It's hard to walk. It's hard to move when there's an ingrown toenail that only is growing inward. It was designed by God to grow outward. But the church will naturally always grow inward. So we have to make ourselves outward bound we have to think that way. We have to act that way. We have to financially invest that way. Because that's the way God's made us. So we have to be servants. You cannot have the power of God moving in you unless you found some area where you can serve and represent God here on this earth. That's the first area, service. The second absolute essential is found in verses 3 and 4, where he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. 
caring about each other. I don't come to church to see what I can get out of it. I go to church because I want to put something into it. And if you have that attitude, nobody ever walks out saying, well, I didn't get anything out of that. Because you didn't come to get anything out of it. You came to put into it. You came to worship God. You came to connect with Him. So the second word is humility. We're to follow Christ's example. And he says, I'll just, I'll just read this. He's, here's Christ's example of that humility in verses 6, 7, and 8. Who, this is referring to Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by, making the very by, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Are we getting the picture of this? Jesus was the second part of the Godhead. He was there from the very beginning. The God, we call it the Godhead because there's three parts of one God. He is the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And when God wanted to, to reach out to man because he saw the mess we've made of our lives, he sent the second part of the Godhead down to this earth to be born as a human. That's what Christmas is all about. Born as a human, born into poverty, born into fear. He had to spend the first couple formative years of his life running for his life. Down in Egypt of all places. That's humbling yourself. To leave all of that majesty and come down here where people would rather throw rocks at you than listen to what you have to say. And then he humbled himself even further when at the end of his three, three years of ministry down here, they nailed him to a cross. He who had no sin, paying the price for the sin of everybody else. That's humbling yourself. From the creator of all life to the one who assumes death himself. That's humbling himself. And you see, that's, a, that's an example. That's a model he set for us. If you want to be effective in seeing the world changed around you and seeing uh, messed up people that you work with see their lives changed, you got to humble yourself. you got to come down to their level. We have to come to that place where we know we're children of God. We know that we don't have to worry about anything. We know that God takes care of it for us. He is our Lord. But we know that we're going to have to get down off our high horse and get down to where people really are and identify with them. And then you can take their hand and lead them up out of that pit. In other words, Christians have to take their halo off. Christians have to acknowledge our own testimony, our own story of how we got to where we are, the mistakes we made so we can identify with them so they can say, oh, he does understand 
my problem, my situation. Then we can take them by the hand and say, I used to believe that. I used to be there, but then the Lord showed me some things. And then you lead them up out of there. We have to humble ourselves. The church for too long has tried to hide our own story behind us when we need to embrace it because it is our story. I had to go, I personally had to go through some really dark things in my life before I could open my eyes to the truth. And so I don't try to hide from that anymore. I use it as a bridge. I use it as a bridge. So I want to encourage you to do that as well. I fear in America where we have so much prosperity and every home has a TV and we watch it regularly and it influences us far more than the Word of God does. I fear that we could be becoming a self-serving generation or even my faith is all about me and what I can get from God. I heard about a a man who put an ad in the paper, classified ads. The ad said, man, 35, wants woman, about 25, with tractor. Send picture of tractor. <laughs> Can it be that the reason our bad marriage relationship failed is because we had something we wanted to get out of it? I advise people, don't ever marry somebody unless you see yourself wanting to benefit them. You want to serve them. You want to rescue them. You want to help make them a better person. That's, that's one of the problems men have. Because as soon as we marry our wife, she right away, because she's a dreamer, she tries to fix us. How many guys know that that happens? That's a good thing because she sees my weaknesses. I'm too dumb to see it. I think I got it all together, but my wife can see those weaknesses, so she tries to fix me. And it's common for wives to try to fix their husbands. And sometimes husbands try to fix their wives. But we need to enter into this relationship because here's somebody that God has put in my life and I want to help them be everything God's called them to be. I want to give. I don't want to be a taker. I want to be a giver. That's the only way to have a happy marriage in this day and age. Humble yourself. Several years ago, we had a hummingbird trapped in our garage. And he was trying to get out. He couldn't find a way out. Now, in the back of my garage, I have a small garage door that I use for my rider. And it was up. That's how he got in. Wait, if he knows how he get in, why can't he just fly out? But he was like in a panic up there flying around. So I opened the two garage doors in the front. Great big open doors. That hummingbird just fluttered around up there. Because that hummingbird could only see, I've got to fly up and away. And he couldn't fly up and away. Because the only way out was for him to fly low. And he didn't want to do that. I think that can be our problem. The only way out of our mess is for us to fly low. For us to get down. 
if we'll get down, there's an open door set right there. God's provided it for us, but we can't see the open door because we got our nose up in the air. God help us to humble ourselves. That's when we humble ourselves and let God be Lord, then we see breakthroughs. Then we see open doors come open. We see God doing great and mighty things. We have to humble ourselves. This thing called humility. I don't like it any more than you do, but that's how God becomes great. He becomes my strength when I recognize my weakness. Humility. Before I was in full-time ministry, I worked in a factory. And you know, in, in factories, you have to interact. Uh, you do your thing, but other people have to do their thing, and you work together. <clears throat> and we had this fellow that worked there uh, who didn't have a whole lot of finesse. Matter of fact, he probably had a screw loose someplace. But he'd make a lot of mistakes. He'd mess up. And he was, he was the laughing stock. When somebody saw him make a mistake, they would go embellish the story and tell everybody, and everybody have a good laugh. Then the next person would look and see him do something dumb, and they would go and tell the story and embellish it, and everybody would laugh. And it just was a little bit of comedy relief in the workplace. But about the time my time there was about over, and I was just about to go into full-time ministry, the Lord began to deal with me about the way I was seeing him. Like I was seeing him of less value than others. And the Lord told me that was wrong. So I stopped telling any story that I had heard. And I started talking to him like he mattered. And I began trying to encourage him. Now, I didn't stay around that place very long, so I can't tell you that that his life changed with my input, but I can say the Lord very clearly rebuked me about thinking myself was so much better than him. And I, I feel impressed to tell that story because most probably you work with somebody like that. They're the butt of everybody's joke. They are, they are funny to be around, but you know you're putting them down. And the Holy Spirit's telling you, if you will humble yourself, He can work through you. If you won't humble yourself, He can't work through you. You're on your own. Humility is an absolute essential for a Christian's walk and service for Christ. Okay, let's go to number three. The third essential we see here, absolute, in verses... Uh, 9 and 10. And we'll go all the way through 11. It says, Therefore God exalted him, talking about Christ who went to the cross, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here's the third absolute essential. Power. We've got to have power in our lives. In the natural, we don't have a lot of power. 
We don't have a lot of influence, especially when it comes to spiritual things. But you can't be what God wants you to be without his power in you. God expects there to be power in you. What kind of power? I mean, muscles, strength? No, I'm talking about power to get your prayers answered, to be successful in life, a power to influence people, a power to point people who are blind to the light, influential power, and power to be able to speak to Satan and the powers of darkness with authority and see that broken. There is a dark world out there. Satan is himself the God of this world, the Bible says. If he's the God of this world and I'm trying to find life in this world, I've got to deal with that spiritual power. And I believe God has available for us spiritual power to tell Satan to get behind us, to tell him to let go and, and be gone. I believe I have the power to do that. I believe I have the power that when you're in trouble, I can pray for you, and there's power that will bring a breakthrough in your life. I want to have that kind of power. I don't just want to read about it in the Bible. I want to see it in my life in the 21st century. We've got to embrace this power. We've got to find this power so that we can break free from the shackles of, of bondage that Satan wants to put on us and wreck our lives. I have an, using an illustration, uh, I have an ongoing lower back issue I've had for years from abusing it when I was younger. And uh, I was going to a chiropractor. And a chiropractor was putting these elect electrodes, these sticker things on, on my back and sending some electric current through there that was supposed to stimulate some things and make, make the discomfort a little better. So I was going in, like every month I had an appointment to go in and have that done. So I went in and uh, they laid me down on this table and the, the gal attached the electrodes and what they would do, they would turn up the current and I would feel a tickle and then it would be a little stronger and a little stronger until it got to where, you know, I wanted it to do something. So I wanted a fairly good jolt there and she would get it to the place and I would say, that's, that's comfortable. And then for about 15 minutes, that would, would do that and would shift from point to point. And how many have ever had that done? You know what I'm talking about. Okay, so you, you know what I'm talking about. And uh, one time I went in there and she was turning the current up. And I'm supposed to say, okay, I feel it. And then I'm supposed to say, okay, that's comfortable. So I'm, she's turning the valve, the, not the valve, the knob, the control switch. She's turning it. But I'm controlling it. I'm telling her how far to turn it. And she finally she said, is that better? And I said, well, I can feel it, but it's not, it's not very much. And she said, well, it's all the way up. And I said, okay. So I laid there for 15 minutes, barely feeling it. And when I got out of there, I said to myself, I'm never going to lay down on that table. I'm going to lay down on this table next time. Because I want to go to the machine that's got some power. I don't want to go to the one that doesn't. I want to be involved, and, and here's the application. I want to be involved in a church that has power, not just talks about power. Amen. I want to see the power of God in my life. I don't just want to preach about the power of God. I want to experience it, and you do as well. 
It's an absolute essential because you will be a failure without the power of God. And I've seen this happen as a pastor. I can say this in hundreds of cases. People have come to this church, made a decision for Jesus Christ, said a sinner's prayer that said, I invite you to come in, your spirit to come in, and I give my life to you. And within a month, a problem arises and they walk away never to come back. We need the power of God because I'm going to have problems. Guaranteed, problems are going to come. I don't live in heaven yet. One of these days, but not yet. So we have to have this power of God in our lives, which takes us to number four, the fourth thing that he talks about that's an absolute essential, and that is practice. We've got to practice our faith. It's an action term. We've got to practice it like a, a, a doctor practices medicine or an attorney practices law. Look at verses 12 and 13 and see what he says. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. It is God who works in you. When you open your life to Jesus Christ, he puts his Holy Spirit inside of you. The Holy Spirit is the third part of the Godhead. It is God that lives inside of you. You have a God awareness, a God consciousness when you open your life. And he begins to work in you. And be careful with that because he has to demolish the old before he can rebuild the new. So one of the first things that happens when you entrust your life in, into Christ is he starts pulling the plug on things you've been believing in and you've been thinking were important and essential to you. He starts demolishing that so he can bring you to a place where he can put his power and his, his renewed life inside of us. We've got to practice it. So it is God who works in us. That's the Greek word energon. We get our word energy from it. It's not stored up energy. It's released energy. God begins to work in us. But we have to work out our salvation. He didn't say work for our salvation. He said work it out. God works in us. But we need to work it out. In other words, I have to do some things with my faith. This idea of Christianity being passive is totally contrary to the Bible. We need to work it out. I'm never going to be an overcomer if I don't take on my challenges. I've got to get up out of my comfortable seat, and I've got to quit relying on Pastor Deal to be the spiritual leader. You need to be the spiritual leader. Grab a hold of your life. God's working in you. When you opened your life to him, his spirit came in, and it was a done deal. You were in relationship with God Almighty. Even if it feels like he's silent, he's abandoning you, he's not talking to you anymore, that doesn't mean he's turned his back on us. He's still there. He works in us. But I need to work out my salvation. 
If I want to know what God's thinking because God won't talk, I need to open my Bible. I need to say, Lord, teach me what you want to teach me. That's working out my salvation. I have to open it. I have to make time. I have to sit down and decide that's important. Practice it. The Philippian church had a problem that Paul was addressing. Just as the church at Corinth had a problem, it was spiritual gifts that Paul had to straighten out. The church at Corinth had a problem, and he is straightening this out, or trying to. They had a problem that was called Gnosticism. Gnosticism was a, a, a religious belief system that has to do with knowledge. The, word, the, the root word is gnosis, and it means knowledge. We get our word knowledge from that. They had an insight. They had a revelation. They, they had some new understanding that other people didn't have. In Gnosticism, they believed that when Jesus died on the cross and we accept him, we are sanctified, completely sanctified at that moment. Nothing wrong with that. I believe I was sanctified at that moment. But they believed because they were sanctified, there is no sin. And because there is no sin, there are no results of sin, such as death. The wages of sin is death. You don't have sin anymore. You don't have death anymore. If you don't have death anymore, you don't have a resurrection. If you don't have a resurrection, then we must already be in our glorified bodies. That's Gnosticism. To know that everything, it's, it's the element of knowing something from God that puts you above everything else. And Paul is writing to them because they, in their Gnosticism, saw Paul sitting in prison, and they thought, well, he can't be a righteous man because he's got bad things happening to him. You see, you see the connection here? And Paul is writing to the church of Philippi from prison. And he said in chapter 1, if you remember, we read it last week, he said, Whatever happens, whether it's good or whether it's bad, whatever happens. Because a Christian who puts our life in his hands, something out of God's will can't happen to you. It's got to pass through his hands to get to you. So if a bad thing happens, we need to stop and say, okay, God, what are you trying to say to me? What are you trying to teach me? You just allowed this to happen. I don't know why this happened. This makes me mad. What are you trying to say, God? When we approach God like that, why would a loving father not sit his son down and explain, or his daughter, and explain what his purpose is? It may take us a while to get it, but God has a purpose for everything. So, what, I, what Paul is saying, what I'm saying, is you and I, we're going to face defeats. We're going to deal with problems. When we do, we need to get back up and trust God. You start over again. An amazing story or illustration of that uh, was, was with a company in Denmark that started in 1916 in the housing market, the housing business. And they were going out constructing homes. Very successful at it. They had a, a warehouse where they would 
buy, buy parts uh, in large lots, and then they would, it would be cheaper for them to buy it in large amounts like that. So they stored up parts, and they went out, and they built homes. And then a tragedy happened. Fire came through that Danish community and destroyed the warehouse, everything in it. They lost it all. But they rebuilt. They started over. In 1930, there was a Great Depression. The same Great Depression we had hit Europe. It was a global depression, but Europe, it hit worse than us. People starved to death in Europe during the Great Depression. And nobody could afford to build homes. So it put the housing market over there on the back burner. And they had to find some other way. So they converted over from building homes to making toys, wooden toys. There wasn't as much profit in a wooden toy as there was in a home, but people could afford to buy toys. They couldn't afford the home. So they rebuilt their business built on wooden toys. In 1960, plastic, wood was going out and plastic was coming in. So they converted over from wooden toys to plastic toys. And then they come on this great invention of making these multicolored building blocks that interlocked together called Legos, which means, in Danish, it means play well, or it's a contraction, play well. So that exploded all over the world. Now, in countries all over the globe, you can find Legos in the stores, and they come up with creative new ideas to do it. Why am I telling you this story? Because here's a great example of, of a company who faces defeat and rebuilds, another defeat and reinvents itself, another defeat, and they keep rebuilding. That's a challenge for each of us. We're going to face defeats, and what we need to do is get back up. Get back up and start again. Because as Paul says, told the church in Rome, we know, believers know this, that all things work together for good to those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. That's one thing we're supposed to know. So when I face something bad, I have to say, okay, now if all things work together for good, where's the good? I don't see this, God. You're going to have to help me. And God will help us. Get back up. Start over again. Too many people have just quit. Too many people have given up because they did not have the role model of a loving father in the home as a child. So they can't understand God loving them. Being a heavenly father that loves. Too many people have been through failed relationships and tragedy has struck and they just quit. Don't just quit. Get back up. God is a good God. He's got good things ahead. Let's trust in God and not ourselves. Amen. Amen. That's what can carry us. These are four absolute essentials for you to be successful in your Christian walk. It's a new world order. Stop doing it the world's way and do it God's way. And he shows us the new way to life. Let's stand together.
I'm still learning this stuff. I'm not standing up here like I got it all figured out. I'm still learning it. How do I deal with difficulties? I still, I've, I've got to ask the same question you do. I've got to figure out how to get back up just like you have to figure out how to get back up. But we can't just lie there because that would not give glory to God. What gives glory to God is for us to have obstacles and we overcome. That's what gives glory to God. So let's deal with the things in our life, be overcomers, and give glory to God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, I pray right now for my brothers and sisters. Father, I pray that you will, like, like a coach talking to the team before the game, I pray that you will help us to connect with you, to grab a hold of your power, to practice our faith. We say we believe it. Show us, God, how to implement that in our life, in our business, in our health. Show us how to do this, God, to be overcomers, to give you the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Don't forget your assignment for next week is read chapter 3, see what God tells you out of chapter 3, and then see how it lines up with what I'm going to, or I guess it's Pastor Adam next week, is going to say about chapter 3. Go with God. He loves you.